Thank you for tuning into a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. Well, good morning. Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron Master. I'm a pastor here. If you've never been before, you'll notice we're a bit different than a traditional church in our style, but we want you to know that we still see the Bible as authority. We take God very seriously, and we have a goal to encourage you to take the next step in your relationship with God every week you're here. This week, we're wrapping up our series that we've been calling Peace of Mind, and what we've been doing is we're looking at God-given direction on how to experience peace in our minds. Peace from anxious or worry-filled thoughts, peace from fear, peace from insecurity, and today it's peace from depression. Now, if you're newer or just visiting, you might hear these things and think, why are these even topics in a Christian church? Like, aren't true Christians supposed to be happy and joyful and full of hope all the time? Christians should look like this, right? They should be like looking like this. They have, are getting selfies with their Bible. They're rejoicing with their arms up or just like happy, smiley, just loving life. And I'd say if that's your perspective, I'd tell you those people are just really good at this, the fake smile, right? Or this one, uh, kind of smiling or this one, Right? As in, you know the fake smile in times of hardship. You know how to fake that out. Because we all experience unrest in our minds, right? But it's easy to think, isn't the solution just be Christian? Just be Christian, cling to Jesus, and you're healed. Cue the Carrie Underwood song, right? Jesus, take the wheel. And life's problems just go away. I'm being sarcastic. I hope you're reading my tone. But it's actually part of the solution in a sense. It's just not easy, constant, or something that allows us to skip over hardships or hurt or sadness or unrest. I mean, yes, when you are connected to God, Christians should have fruit or this outwardness of peace and joy. Galatians 5, 23, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit or God within you is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing, there is no law. When we allow God to be the center of our life in all things, we should then be like a fruit tree. We should have this fruit that's showing we bear fruit or godliness. Yet, I don't know about you, but I don't experience that all the time. Like, I am without peace and joy. Sometimes that fruit in my life has been plucked or has gone through rough seasons. Maybe I've had too many Instagram visitors, like the little farmer, and people are just taking pictures, pulling the fruit like crazy, like in October, and they consumed all of your fruit is what you feel like at times. It's part of being human. We experience highs and lows of life, and my peace and joy is attacked and just challenged. Do you experience this? If this is also you, we've stated throughout this whole series, you're not crazy, you're not alone, and this will end. Whether it's fear, insecurity, anxiety, or depression, God wants you to experience peace from it, and you can. 
So today specifically, we're looking at depression. I want to get us on the same page of what depression is. If, if we look at what the Mayo Clinic says, it says, depression is a mood disorder that causes a persistent feeling of sadness and loss of interest. You may have a trouble doing normal day-to-day activities, and sometimes you may feel as if life isn't worth living. It's more than just the blues, but it's something within you. So depression is more than being sad the Packers lost this Sunday, right? Yet when it's a season, like it is this year, it feels more like depression, right? Uh, it's more than feeling like sad or when someone like takes that last cookie from the cookie jar or leaves the brownie pan with just that little square in the corner. You know what I'm talking about? And you're like sad when you see that because now you have to clean the pan. <laughs> Calling out my wife on this one. Um, it's more than that frustration when you don't, don't get your way at work. It's more than experiencing a time of grief processing a loss, because that's natural. But to prepare for this message, I read a book called My Name is Hope, and it's by John Mark Comer, and he's a pastor who, who's dealt with depression and also counseled, I think, thousands of people that have gone through this. He's out in, uh, out in the West Coast. But he states this about depression. Depression is when sorrow becomes a way of life, not a phase. When joy, hope, and life are snuffed out of your soul. When you are sad for no reason at all. Now, if you've been to a Centerpoint Church message before, this is where you would normally hear how I personally struggled with this and how it's been a bear for me to get through. As usually... I'm not amazing at any of the things we talk about here on Sundays. Like at this church, you will never really get an expert. Sorry, that will never be me. But what you do get from me is someone willing to share their vulnerabilities and realness and how I'm seeking and looking to God in that process. But with depression, honestly, praise God, hallelujah, it's something I haven't dealt with intensely. It's not something I've struggled with a a whole lot. Yet it's still real for a lot of people. It's prevalent and it's on the rise. If you look at this graph here, it's starting at 2015, going all the way to 2023. This is done by Gallup. You can see that a lifetime depression keeps increasing. And you can also see the current state of people being depressed is increasing each year. Year after year, both lifetime depression and people currently feeling depressed is increasing. It's growing. So something's not working, right? And specifically in America, massive number of Americans are struggling with depression. Americans are about 5% of the world's population, yet we consume about 90% of the world's antidepressants. That's a huge percentage. Antidepressants, they're prescribed for someone who has depression, but also maybe someone with anxiety, uh, also someone that has OCD or what I want to say is like insecurity or stress. Sometimes they're prescribed this as well, and I want to say fear. All of the topics we've covered in this series. Now, I mean, again, something must not be working in America. Like, why are Americans so depressed? I mean, we're the land of the free, home of the brave, right? Why do we Americans need antidepressants so bad? And again, aren't we a Christian nation per se? Like, shouldn't we be the ones, again, filled with the joy, filled with the spirit and the gladness? Shouldn't we be without worry and insecurity and fear? 
God does not want us to experience these things. He, he wants to give us peace. And I think his peace is one that we can all use for wherever we land on the depressive spectrum. Like, because the line's kind of blurry, right? Of being someone that's diagnosed with depression of like constant, like just grief and sadness and hurt to then being someone who's just been through a long season of hurt and sadness. Personally, Again, I haven't, had to de- I haven't had the difficulty of getting out of bed to go to work, but some days are harder than others. I haven't had this thought where I want my life to end, but sometimes I just want to skip past a day or a week or a year. I haven't had this dark cloud in my mind where my mind sits and hurts, but sometimes I get in a weird funk where I'm, I'm feeling hopeless. Regardless of where you land, again, on that depression spectrum, it's absolutely a thing we all encounter from time to time. Whether you're dealing with just moments of sadness or full-blown depression, I think God's direction and hope can help you starting today. So we're going to look and see what God's people do in times of depression, how they thought and what kept them going after they kind of realized this. But then as a Christian pastor on stage right now, I want to give you some of my interpretation of why I think depression and the use of antidepressants for, for basically all the topics we covered in this series is on the rise. This interpretation that I'm going to share with you comes from my intense study of Scripture, my position of being able to see hundreds of faith lives of people, and then the hundreds of hours of counseling that I've, I've done and conversations I've had with people who are dealing with depression. And I think I can give you a little insight on why I think our nation is in a funk. And as a result, I hope that you can have some awareness of where your depression maybe is coming from practical strategies to combat it, and then guidance from God on how to move past it. But I want you to hear me blatantly outright before we really dive in. I am not a doctor. I'm not. I do believe there is absolutely a time for antidepressants. I do believe there's absolutely a time for counselors and professional medical help. But my hope is for you to have a treatment that you can try spiritually in addition to all that may be needed for you. Because to put it kind of bluntly, The thesis of that book that I I shared with you, along with a lot of my own personal thoughts that I've gained from my reading of Scripture, is depression, and let's even say anxiety, insecurity, and fear, the other topics of the series, which I've struggled with immensely. But the thesis is that many times these are actually symptoms of some underlying problems within you that God can solve and wants you to address. They are symptoms to an underlying issue within us. Now, ye, I get that's kind of a bold statement, right? That's kind of a bold statement, but I'm getting this directly from my view of Scripture that we're going to look at in a second. But I want you just to think about it for a moment. What if fear, depression, insecurity, and worry are your body's alarms that something is not right within you, with the way you're living, with the way you're thinking about life? Like, for example, if you're not afraid of a shark coming into your shark tank, when something like this happens, that's unhealthy, right? That is unhealthy to not have a little bit of fear. Because you've seen the videos, they always fail, right? They always fail, they always get in. This has been one of my plans to do. It's actually something my dad and I have talked about doing for a long time. But I'm second-guessing now, right? Because the fear is warning me, maybe a bad idea, maybe a bad idea, maybe a bad idea. Or grief, for example. Like, if your food, you're about to eat something so delicious, and all of a sudden it gets 
snatched from you. As you're about to eat it, you should feel sad, right? You should feel sad. That looked tasty. <laughs> and then for the same, like, uh, and then for this one, like, if you're worried your dad is going to pick you up from school in a Speedo, and he shows up to school like it, your worry was an alarm. My dad's weird. My dad's weird. My dad's weird. Of, yeah, you don't want to be there at school on that day. And for that same video, uh, if your dad picking your kid up in a Speedo in front of other teenagers, you should feel insecure, right? You should feel insecure about what you're wearing. Now, this is silly, but when we experience emotions of fear and grief and worry and insecurity, they're like alarms, right? Alarms. They bring pain to us saying, something's not right. Something's going on here. John Mark states this. He says, pain can be a gift. Pain exists to guard us from permanent damage. This statement can be the same with depression. Now, we're going to get a little more serious here. For example, if you're working 80 hours a week, are tired and not seeing your family and are lacking motivation or depressed, God could be using your depression to say, stop, you're working too much, you're working way too much. If you're doing something that's kind of more socially acceptable these days versus what God says, like maybe you're sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend or experimenting sexually or, or something of that sort, the depression you are maybe experiencing could be a God-given emotional response to sin. If you have rage and revenge built up with someone that you work with or you partner with or in your family, and every night you go home and you're depressed and sad about it, depression is a natural response to that. Again, I want you to hear me correctly. Depression can absolutely be biological and outside any particular cause or action in life, but it can also be a symptom of something that is deeper within you and your life right now. That is the root of your internal self. That is not allowing the fruit of God's spirit within you to show more vibrantly. So we're going to dive in and see like what people in scripture did to combat this type of depression. When we look to God's word, it's hard not to notice that a lot of God's people like struggled with this, struggled with some sort of level of depression. So starting with Jonah, like Jonah, he's kind of known as being the guy with the big fish, right? But a few months ago, we did a message here and how it's so much more than that. What we learned from Jonah's story is Jonah's just not that great of a guy. He's not that nice of a guy, and he's in the dumps of depression. He didn't want to forgive and do what God told him to do. So God's mercy was for his people, and Jonah didn't want to forgive. He didn't like it. So what he says is, I'm so angry, I wish I was dead. I should have no, and this is what God says, shouldn't I have concern for the people of Nineveh? Like, why would I not forgive them? That's how God responds. Job, Job has his own book in the Bible, and he's this guy who literally loses it all worldly. He loses his family, his wealth, his health, and a long-term, he's long-term depressed, about that loss. He's angered with God. He says this, let the day be lost on which I was born. May God above not care for it. May light not shine on it. Solomon, he's a guy in the Bible who had it all. He was a king, everything, money, fame, riches, wisdom, but then still says meaningless. Everything is meaningless. I think of Elijah. Elijah is a prophet who literally defeats hundreds of false prophets by sending down fire from the sky because of his belief in God. He works nonstop to make this happen, but then gets one note challenged by one woman named Jezebel, 
And he runs, he flees, and says he wants to go home to be with God. He says, he comes to a bush, and he sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. But finally, I think of the book of, of, of the Psalms. Uh, and primary, the primary author, author of them is David. If you're not familiar with David, he was a king. He's the one who defeated the Goliath or the giant with a sling and a stone. He's the one who wrestles bears and lions we read about. He's the one who danced naked in the streets. He's an interesting guy. He maybe would do like something like that dad did with the speedo. I don't know, but... But, but God loves David. In Acts 13, it says, God testified concerning him, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. A man after my own heart. Other than Jesus, I want to say David models God and a pursuit of his ways and thinking, and specifically the fruit of God, better than anyone. But when you read the Psalms, you see real, raw and expressed emotion. And I want to say specifically, times of depression. Where I see this represented well is in Psalm 42. And Psalm 42 was a song that was probably sung by the sons of Korah, is what a lot of scriptures say when you open your Bibles, which are basically just the, le- the worship leaders of that time. But it was a song that was probably written by David. Some scholars believe David wrote this when he was dealing with a national insurrection as a king. He, uh, his son is trying to kill him or murder him. He goes into hiding, but most importantly, as he's away, he starts to become aware of his life and how his sins are kind of catching up to him. Of like, why did I do these things? This is the psalm that we're going to sit on for a while today, so I want to read it for you, but, but it's a little bit longer, so try to stay with me here. It's Psalm 42, verses 1 through 11, and it says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? So he's sad, right? We're seeing he's sad, and things obviously aren't going well for him, but he's calling for God. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God uh, under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He's saying, something's not right in me, God, but I will remember you. He says this, My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. From the land of the Jordan, the heights of the Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. He's saying, God, I will look to you in this. I will remember you. But then things start to change. Check this out. I say to God, my rock, Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? That is raw, right? And super depressing. It wraps up saying, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So what do we do with this? What do we do with like seeing this? David, we see clearly he has depressive thoughts, but still does amazing things after it's all said and done. He gets through it. He maintains the title of being this man after God's own heart, and he bears the fruit of the Spirit of God. 
So I don't know about you, but I want to know what he did specifically that we can do to get through times like that. Like whether I'm in a situation and I'm as depressed as he was in that moment, or I'm dealing with just uh, maybe a minor moment of lack of motivation for life, I want to overcome and be like him. Don't you? So to get through it, I think the first thing, like if we're analyzing this, that we can see is he went to God in his depression. Go to God in your depression and your sadness. At home, I, I have a three-year-old, Eliza, and then I have a one-year-old, Claire. And my three-year-old right now, she's all about playing and imagination. And then my one-year-old just wants what she wants when she wants it, which is now always, right? And it usually is what her sister has is what she wants. But the goal for them is to play nicely. My wife and I get like a little nice time away when they play nicely together. But I don't know, I don't know if you know this, us the masters, if you, as you get to know me, we're not super soft-spoken people. So about one, two, probably 40 times a day, Eliza ends up yanking something back from Claire, her sister, that she took, or keeping Claire away by making like a wall so she can't get in and like she's trying to get in. And what happens is eventually Claire yells, screams, and just starts crying. And then Eliza knows we're going to be like, Eliza, or we're going to kind of like explain the situation to her. But Eliza runs. She does not want to hear it. She flees. She hides. Every time this happens, she hides. She wants to get away. She doesn't want to hear no. She doesn't want to hear that you can't do that or share or not right now. And it's frustrating as a parent because I'm on her side. I want to give her what she wants. I want to help her get what she wants, but I don't want her to run when this happens. I want to, I'm like, come to me. Come to me. I want to explain what's going on to you. I want to comfort you and teach to you and reveal in you what's going on and why it has to be the way it is. I want her to go to her father, me, in her sadness. And we see that's what David does. He isn't trying to escape his sadness. He's not trying to suppress it, hide from it, or pretend it. It doesn't exist. He goes to God with it. He knows sitting in sadness and grief isn't going to be life forever, but it needs God's help, and he knows he needs to address it head on. When you think about your depression or sadness or just lack of motivation for life, are you doing that? I, again, I, I haven't struggled with like long-term depression, but a reoccurring sadness that I dealt with um, early on in my life was I got like this like late bloom of acne when I was like a late teenager, early 20-some-year-old. And uh, it was when I was in college, and it was horrible. It was horrible. Like maybe 200 zits on my face, just to kind of give you an awkward picture of myself. Um, but it hurt. And specifically, it caused internal sadness and anger. Like I tried everything, everything. Remember those proactive commercials like all the time? That was me. I, I bought Proactive. They never like recruited me for the commercials, but I bought it a lot. I was a buyer. I tried anything and everything. I, I did weird diets. I tried weird treatments, natural remedies, anything. Nothing worked, and I felt ugly, embarrassed, and sad, and it wasn't going away. And during that process, during that time, was when I actually became a sincere Christian, and it magically went away. Wrong, right? Wrong. It stayed. But like David, I begged God. I begged God, why? Take this away from me. Why, God? Why is my soul this way? Help me, please, God. Why am I going through this? And it was there for years. And because of it, like, I'm a bit embarrassed to, like, confess this to you now, but 
I was without the full joy and love and peace and patience that God wanted to give me, that should have been there, that I should have been experiencing, even though I knew it shouldn't be the way it was. But at that point, I had nothing left to do. I tried everything but to go to God for comfort and lay it out to him. And then things started to change, at least internally. Recently, uh, in my life group, we just started last week, and we're doing the Beatitudes by Matt Chandler. It's a great study, so next time you're going to want to hop in one. But we're doing the Beatitude studies, and what it says is we are studying this verse that says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, these are things Jesus says are good. I don't know about you, but being poor in spirit does not sound good to me. It does not sound good to me. But the way the teacher describes it is he states, congratulations, congratulations, you are poor in spirit, you're sad, you're depressed, or in other words, congrats, you now know you need God, which is actually great news, right? Because he can comfort you and might be the only one to help you get through what you're going through. So if, we're, if we start going to God in our depressive state, what do we do next to combat depression? And the second thing we can see happen is, if you aren't displaying the fruit God intended, look to the root. Look into your life and reflect on what is the root of what's going on. Why has your fruit been taken? How, how you do that is you pray, you talk with others, you seek wisdom, you go to counseling, you, you pray over and over again. But in our psalm, David is asking, why, 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 God? He's looking for the root. Not necessarily like, why is life this way? But why am I not getting through this depression? What is at the root of me not experiencing relief? In a later psalm, David states this. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. He's saying, God, what is in me that is causing this depression, this sadness? Your God, reveal it to me. And this is where I'm going to take kind of a unique turn on today's message. This is something I don't do often, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to share 25 things with you. Yeah, 25 things. It's going to be a long list, but I promise we'll get out on time. Um, but these are 25 things that God has either revealed to me personally as a Christian in times of my sadness and hurt, something that I think God has revealed in people I've counseled and helped along the way that is dealing with depression, or what Scripture alludes to for bearing good fruit. But they're going to get these 25 things. They're going to get kind of harsh. They are. I promise we won't stay there, but it's going to get a little personal. So I want to go through them quickly and see if you can identify with one or, or maybe a few or, or a lot of them. But the reasons you could be experiencing the symptom of depression is maybe habitual sin. You've been doing the same sin over and over. It's a continuous thing. You keep doing, you know it's wrong, but you keep doing it. Maybe it's an unconfessed sin, like something is eating you inside that you need to find freedom from through confession. Like there's a proverb that says, he who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Maybe you need to act on that. Maybe you're three, like you have unforgiveness. You're bitter right now. Maybe that's why. You're bitter. You don't forgive. That person stole a parking spot from you three weeks ago, and you're still mad about it. Or more seriously, that person wronged you, and you can't do what Jesus commanded you to do, and it's making you depressed inside. 
Maybe you have unrealistic expectations. Somehow you thought you were going to be on a yacht in Miami every other weekend while working part-time. No. <laughs> Maybe you have a champagne diet on a beer budget is kind of what, it, what I'm saying. You thought life would be more, but it was unrealistic. It was unrealistic, yet you can't get over your fantasy of it. Maybe you have anxiety. Like, have you ever seen a stressed, worried person happy? No, right? Yay, this is going to be an epic fail today. Like, no one's like that. But maybe your worry and your anxiety is making you down and bringing you down. Maybe you're selfish. This is one I struggle with. But we are so into ourselves, right? And we think we're special. We're not. We're not. Contrary to what your participation trophy says from 20 years ago, you're not that special. You're not that special. You're like a, a normal tool from Menards that's not a name brand tool. Like, it's not a good brand. But we think we're everything and we're selfish and are depressed when the world disagrees with us. You're maybe too busy. Your life never lets you rest and you never enjoy anything. Maybe you're a perfectionistic. You're a it could be better person, no matter what. This is me. Uh, ask my wife. Um, how was dinner? It was good. What do you mean good? Eh, what if we added a little of this? It could be better, right? It's always, it could be better. Uh, that's me. Uh, it never leaves you satisfied. You're always dissatisfied all the time. Maybe you're caught in self-pity. You're feeling sorry for yourself. Poor me. I had to go through this. I have had hardships. And you probably did. You got through it, but now you need to move on. Maybe for you, you're not treating your body like a temple. Like, you're eating crap like Skittles, Reese's, you're drinking way too much coffee, and then you put a little Caesar's pizza on top of that. That was me literally one night last week. <laughs> yeah, it's embarrassing, I know. Um, laziness. Maybe it's laziness. Like, you are not willing to get off the couch. You're not willing to be disciplined and stop watching the sixth episode of, of, of whatever show you're watching on Netflix every weekend. Maybe you're lonely, loneliness. You're not putting yourself in situations with others. You are a recluse. You go to your corner because you hate conversation, but you also hate being alone. Maybe you lack vision or drive for the future. You don't know what you want out of life. Like you haven't spent time thinking about your purpose or like the fun thing you want to like work towards or the adventure that you're living and working towards. Maybe you're not embracing the moment. Anybody like start thinking about your next dessert while you're eating one? I do that all the time. Like I can't wait for the second piece. You know, like as I'm eating the first one, like it's like just enjoy it. Embrace the moment. Maybe you're not resting mentally. Like you're working nonstop and when you're not working, you're thinking about work. Maybe you're not in nature. You're not in the environment God created you to manage and it literally is taking your life source from you. Oxygen away from you. You're getting less oxygen. You're around the wrong people. If everyone around you is depressed and crabby and negative, you need new friends. Maybe you're not in a faith community. If you don't have people who have a real hope of Jesus in your life, you need it. Maybe you're not in spiritual practices. You're not reading your Bible. You're not praying. You're not going to God and being in fellowship with his people. You need it. Maybe you've forgotten the temporariness of life here. You are unhealthily mad. It's okay to be mad at times, but you're unhealthily mad or depressed when something fades, leaves, dies on this temporal earth that we're on. Maybe you're too attached to the material. Treat yourself, right? 
I love stuff. This is one I, I struggle with. I love stuff. But me and maybe you are sad because you don't have the stuff you want. And it leaves you crabby, right? Maybe you're too dependent on substances. You need alcohol, nicotine, caffeine, pleasure, phone time. And when you don't get it, you're crabby. You're not allowing God to maybe speak to you. Last week we talked about evil. You're not letting God speak to you, but you're letting evil and temptation speak to you. You're comparing yourself to others. You see what others have and do and instantly compare it to yourself and you start thinking poorly of what you have. Or lastly, you haven't grieved past hurt. There's something you haven't processed yet. Now, woo! That's a laundry list of like stuff, right? And I could keep going probably with a hundred more. But if you are feeling depressed or even just a reoccurring moment of unrest in your mind, could you be dealing with one, two, ten of those? I know I am. Like, I made a list, like, last night I was counting. I'm about seven or eight of those that if I don't address could become depressive for me. Now, when I go back to some of the characters of the Bible that I mentioned early on uh, who appeared to be dealing with depression, I can start to make kind of some plausible assumptions of maybe what they were going through. Like Jonah was depressed because he had three. He had unforgiveness, right? Job was depressed because he had 20. He had the forgotten temporariness of life here on earth. He was attached to the material, 21, and he had a lack of vision for the future, 13. Solomon, he was depressed. He was too attached to the material, 21. He was too dependent on substances, pleasure, that's 22. Elijah, number 15, he was not resting mentally, right? He was not treating his body like a temple, number 10. David, Again, many scholars believe this was when he was in exile. He was away from God. He was 18, not in a faith community regularly. If I bring it back to me, my continuous sadness and hurt about my acne, I was nine, caught in my self-pity. I was 21, too attached to the material. And 24, comparing my looks to others and using that to assess my beauty of myself. What about you? What is at the root of your sadness, lack of motivation, depression? If you've dialed on something, or maybe a few or or a lot, now what? Now what? If we go to the next psalm, Psalm 43, we see this. It says, declare me innocent, O God. Again, this is David. Defend me against these ungodly people. Rescue me from these unjust liars. For you are God, my only safe haven. Why have you tossed me aside? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them lead me to your holy mountain, to the place where you live. There I will go to the altar of God, to God, the source of all my joy. I will praise you with my harp, O God, my God. And then it ends with the same ending as 42. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. What we see David do is in his, his guilt, in his mourning, in his processing, he stays. He stays with God. He stays with God for healing. If you've gotten to that third step, you've vented, you've found the root, and now you're letting God heal you. We see David knows how that healing needs to take place. Again, if we look at that passage, if I break it down for you, verse 3, it says, Send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Want to know what Jesus says is light? God followers. Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. So if we go back to that verse, David's saying, let 
the help of your people and your truth, which today is scripture for us, he says, let them guide me to healing. He then says, let them lead me to your holy mountain, to the place where you live. There I will go to the altar of God. I will go back to you, is what he's saying. At that time, going back to God meant going to the altar. And the altar is a powerful thing that maybe, maybe you need to go back to. And the modern day altar is Sunday church. That is, that is the thing that like, you'd be surprised, but I see it over and over again, where someone gets in a heavy, hard, depressive state and is like, I need a break from church. I just, I, I just need a break from church. That is the last thing you need, right? Especially when you're sad. Like, sure, you maybe need to stop serving or, or being responsible for things, but you should not stop worshiping and reflecting and being in your community of people regularly. David knew that. But for us today, going back to the altar could also mean going back to God in our hearts, allowing him to speak to us in our hearts. Because if Jesus has sacrificed his perfect life on earth and dying in our place for our wrongs, because he defeats death and is able to give us newness of life, eternal life, those that accept him, he says, we also can have God within us personally, God's Holy Spirit. It will comfort us and be present in us. That Holy Spirit, what it is, it's a conscious like voice, this internal thought from God that pushes you to what you need to do to experience more peace. If you aren't experiencing that, that Holy Spirit push in your life, and you want it, it comes from starting a relationship with God. Like, it's saying in your head and your heart, God, I want you, I profess I need you, and that's the journey of starting to be a Christian. But that's you going back to God's presence. Maybe that's exactly what you need today, is to embrace that, or maybe you just need to recommit to that today. But then after all that happens, David says, there I will go to the altar of God, to God, the source of all my joy. I will praise you with my harp, O God, my God. He goes back to God for joy and accepts that only he can provide the real joy. He knows that. As in he finds something he can be thankful to God for to bring him joy and then praises him. But finally, he says this at the end, put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So he declares his hope to get through it is through God. So if I was to summarize kind of that passage of what David actually did for healing is he seeks God's light, his people. He seeks God's truth, his scripture. He goes back to the altar, church. He reconnects with the Holy Spirit, God within you, and he finds a reason for joy in God alone, finds gratitude. He praises him and he hopes in him. Today, as you are maybe dealing with sadness, struggle, or fully depressed right now, are you doing these things? Which one do you need to maybe start doing again? God wants us to experience peace in our minds. He wants us to dwell the fruit of the Spirit, as Galatians talked about, right? All those things. To get back to that fruit that we can all have, do you need to go to God in your depression and sadness to start? Do you need to find the root, look to the root, or do you need to stay with God for that healing consistently? I'm going to pray that whatever one you're dealing with, that we can go to God for that, for answers, and for healing. Would you pray with me as I close us today? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for just giving us uh, an example of how people of, of immense faith still struggled with the stuff we struggle with. God, I just pray that we can follow David's lead in, in going to you in our, in our sadness, in our hurt, in our grief, in our depression. And then, God, I just pray that you can help us find what's going on in our life. 
whether it's just a momentary thing or something we need to address, God, I just pray that you help us find that. And then, God, we pray that you help us uh, get through it. Help us stay with you through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.